welcome everyone to work 2.0 podcast today we have with us a wonderful guest we have with us chester elton and um a brief bio uh, so chester have spent more than two decades helping clients engage employee on strategy vision and value in provocative inspiring and always entertaining talks provide real solutions uh, for leaders looking to manage change uh, drive innovations and lead multi-generation workforces his work is supported by research with more than 850,000 working adults across the globe revealing the proven secrets behind high performance cultures and teams uh, he and his founder um, founded um, so he and his founder Adrian Gostick founded the culture works a global training company and the authors of multiple award winning number 1 wall street journal new york times best sellers all in the carrot principle and the best team wins um, their book have been translated into 30 languages and have been sold uh, more than 1.5 million copies that's a lot of books um, they have been called fascinating f- by fortune and creative and refreshing by new york times gostick and alton have appeared on nbc today show cbs 60 minutes and are often quoted in fast company newsweek wall street journal uh, gostick and elton uh, are members of marshall goldsmith's mg 100 global coaches 2019 global gurus in leadership and organizational culture elton is a member of fast company impact council and serves as board member of camp carol a non-profit for children of wounded and fallen military heroes with that chester welcome to the podcast thank you so much honored to be here very few time uh, we get to meet and talk to people who are, who are, like whose resume is just mind blowing i think this snippet uh, tell us i think walk us through your journey what brought you to this this fascinating world what makes you excited um, about what you do do today well thank you so much yeah it's uh, i i think you know my my mother couldn't have done a better inter- introduction than you did there with the resume we're very proud of our of our work I always say our my co-author and and you know partner in crime is Adrian Gostick who is a brilliant writer. Uh we're going to talk today about leading with gratitude which is our 12th book by the way that we're publishing with Harper Collins. Delighted to be working with Harper Business. The whole idea behind our work uh, was was generated by seeing how when people felt valued and engaged in the workplace good things happened, right? if i believed what i did mattered and i made a difference and then someone noticed and celebrated that behavior all kinds of good things happen and that so we wrote a whole series of books with the word carrot in there you know the carrot principle uh, managing with carrots the 24 carrot manager a carrot a day and the whole idea was as a leader i would see somebody doing something great and i would reward and recognize them and we saw some phenomenal results when that happened people stayed longer they were more engaged uh, fewer sick days higher customer service and so on as we delve deeper we have a, a wonderful training company the the culture works as we started to delve deep with organizations we very quickly realized that if you didn't get the culture right then all that recognition didn't matter right it was seen as a as a trick to get you to work harder and longer and of course culture starts at the top you know the way a leader acts gives everyone else permission to act the same way So as we took a deep dive into culture it, it qu- quickly morphed into what makes good teams and then of course what makes good leaders and we've been studying this dynamic for for over 20 years which led us 
to the same conclusion you did and why you have your podcast is that the difference between good leaders and extraordinary leaders was very, very rarely their hard skills. That's the ticket to entry, understanding the business, how to get things done, manufacturing, whatever business you're in. It was always their soft skills, how they could communicate, how they could relate to people, how they could engage people. And number one in those soft skills was how they expressed gratitude. Isn't that fascinating? Mm. That's interesting. So uh, researching about the culture, right? It's a very, very interesting niche. What brought you to this, 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 the, the idea of culture? Like what's your, how, tell, walk us through your journey, through your career. Like how did you end up uh, in, 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 in exp, exp, helping us understand culture? Sure. Well, you know, we've all had great jobs and horrible jobs, right? Or I live in New Jersey now. It's like horrible, a horrible job. We've all had one of those horrible jobs, right? What made it, what made it so horrible, right? That, that when the alarm clock went off in the morning, you thought, can I get another 10 minutes sleep? Do I really have to go to work? Or am I excited? Am I engaged? So, you know, a lot of work was done around engagement in the workplace. And I grew up in sales. And so it was very interesting to me that in a lot of organizations, particularly with sales, you go, well, we'll just throw more money at them, right? Just we'll give them spiffs, we'll give them incentives, and we'll we'll win their, not just their uh, minds, because they'll be greedy, we'll win their hearts, we'll get their emotionally engaged. Which, by the way, what I found most really good salespeople, money is a motivator, it's it's really their top motivator, right? They, they're, they're service-oriented and so on. So we really took a look at this whole idea of culture, what creates that great culture? engagement, a ton of work was done on what is what does an engaged employee look like? How do we get there? In our research, and we published the findings in our book, All In, was that engagement was, was great. You needed enablement and energize to really complete the circle, that I needed to have the training and the tools to get my job done. And I needed to have that emotional connection to work. So our journey into culture really was that, that there was more to it than just are you engaged? Or are you not? Are you satisfied at work? We, we we really wanted to take a look at, are you emotionally engaged? Or do you understand the higher purpose? Again, back to, do I believe what I do matters? Do I have a higher cause? Do I have purpose? And by the way, as you look at the younger generations coming in, very much a high motivator. Am I making an impact? Am I continuing to learn? And so on. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. No, that, 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 that makes sense. No, walk us through your typical day. Like, how does your, your typical day look like? <laughs> if, if, if there's such thing as typical. Yeah, I really don't have a typical day. Thanks for asking. Uh, you know, we, we, we do a lot of research. Our books are based on great research, case studies, and then tools. So because we've done that and because we've had uh, a fair amount of success with our books, people will read the book and say, hey, uh, you speak on your book, don't you? And go, well, yes, we love to speak on our book. So they'll book us for conferences and Adrian and I will do, you know, 80 or 90 conferences a year around the world mm. where we speak on whether it be, you know, uh, culture, leadership teams, or this idea of leading with, with gratitude. Along there, we, we continue to write. We've got wonderful followers on LinkedIn. We have a video series and so on. We, we have our book recommendations that we do every, every Friday for, for the weekend. So, and, and we've added to that, by the way, executive coaching, which I enjoy immensely. So between the, the the writing, the speaking, the training, and the coaching, along with you know engaging our our followership on LinkedIn in particular, no one day ever really looks the same. You know my 
my commute is to the airport, uh, generally speaking. And, uh, and so for me, that's, that's really important. I, I enjoy variety in my work. I enjoy, you know, uh, looking at different cultures, different, different industries and, and different leaders. So I've never, I, for 20 years, I've never had two days that look the same, which is great. <laughs> that's awesome. And walk, walk us through, uh, what is the culture works to like, what, explain us what, what's the mission behind the company? What do you guys do? We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. Yeah, the mission behind the Culture Works really is engagement solved. You know, everybody wants to engage their employees. How do you do that? Well, so so often we promote people because they're good at something. They're good at research, so we make them the head of the lab. The idea of having some training, and we do it in person, we do it online, we certify trainers and so on. And our, and our core uh, curriculum is very much around culture. You know, I, I really believe that culture is one of the few differentiators left in business. You can replicate products and services. Culture is the emotion around work, very hard to replicate, and leaders. You know, how do you build great teams? We, we developed a, a wonderful online assessment called the Motivators Assessment. We've had 75,000 people take it, and it allows us to then talk about how do we tailor the experience for the employee. No two employees are motivated the same way. So that gave us an insight on how to better lead, how to better put together teams, and so on. Our latest iteration is leading with gratitude, coming back to our roots around the carrot. You know, how do we really, once we've got all the, the, the basics done, how do we create an experience? How do we express the gratitude for all that hard work that's happening every day to engage people? Because, you know, it's really interesting. <clears throat> no matter who you talk to, you know, no matter what position they have in, in business or in life, we all have one thing in common. And that one thing is we all want to be happy, right? We want a happy life. Now, here's what's fascinating. If you're happy and engaged at work, you're 150% more likely to be happy and engaged in your personal life. We spend so much time at work and the opposite is obvious, obviously true. When you are miserable at work, the ripple effect into your personal life, your, your spouse, your kids, your family members, whatever, can really be very destructive. So our mission and vision is to really help leaders create really engaging and wonderful workplaces. So not only will they be able to attract and retain top talent, not only will they be more productive and have higher customer satisfaction and loyalty. So that they, when you send your employees home, that they bring that joy back to their families and their personal life. You know, that's really our mission. Do we want to create great workplaces? Absolutely. We, we are business authors. We are about, you know, staying in business, right? And our noble cause is then sending people home and make sure that, that those wonderful best practices that we know work in the workplace is also applied in personal lives and that's what gets us excited to, to do our work and uh, i think so in your literary work so the books that you that that you published so far walk us through the journey that lead you to uh, leading with gratitude like what are the, how does the the hop worked uh, in your in your sort of writing career sure well again you know getting back to culture it all starts with a leader. And you, you, you've seen this a million times, that a leader will retire, a leader will get fired, a new leader. And immediately the culture changes, right? 
the new leader will come in and perhaps bring his or her favorite people to, to put around her, right? Um, there'll be a, a change of direction, there'll be a merger, there'll be an acquisition. So this idea of what really drives culture, clearly it starts at the top. Well, as we took a deep dive into what are the attributes of great leaders, we, we came to that conclusion that skills are the ticket to entry. The soft skills are really what differentiate good from extraordinary. And so of those soft skills, what what was the number one soft skill that made the biggest difference? And it was their expression of, of gratitude to those around them. So that was kind of our, our pathway. You know, it started with recognition, went to culture, teams, and then circled back to, to leadership and why we're so excited about leading with gratitude and why when we interviewed so many great leaders, they all agreed that if you really want to be successful, you have to get your people's buy-in. You have to get their hearts and minds, right? And that heart being the real key, that emotional engagement. Well, how do you do that? You appreciate the work they do. You see what they're doing. You express it in a way that's meaningful and you develop, develop those kind of relationships. Now, let me let me pause here for a minute because a lot of people have a problem with, well, those are soft skills. Those are nice to have, not must-haves. You know, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. And the great leaders have mastered those soft skills. So whatever you want to call them, your communication skills, your, your leadership skills, you know, soft skills, I don't care the label you give it is, do you care about your people? Do you engage them, you know, in a humane and respectful way? And do you appreciate the sacrifices they make? So that when you have to have tough conversations, those conversations are meaningful. They don't come from a place of, I'm your boss, I'm going to beat you up because I can. It comes from, I want to make this a better place to work. I want you, I want to make you not just a better worker. I want to help you become a better person. So is that helpful? That timeline, is that helpful? Sure. So I think I was thinking about this uh, when I was, when I was um, reading about your previous books. So whether it, it, it says the carrot principle, the best team wins. So I wonder that, um, I think if we say 10 years back, there was a lot of uh, conversations about the performance of the team or the impact of the team and what motivates you. And I think from Daniel Pink to like a lot of people start talking about this idea of what motivates someone and sort of how do you measure performance and all that. So I wonder that um, the book has something to, like the timeline is important in its, in its journey that the ecosystem was sort of digging for these informations. And, and that's, I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out if that has something to do with the, the books that came out. Oh, sure. There's no question. You know, as, as we embarked on the whole the whole uh, recognition journey, you know, that, that idea that people needed to be valued and appreciated at work, I think the timing for that was very good. As we migrated to culture, you know, the, the year that we published um, our book All In, the Webster's uh, picked the word of the year was culture. There was a lot of talk around it. It's not just products and services. What kind of culture are you are you creating to attract great talent? It wasn't just about compensation and incentives and pay, right? As you, as you continue down that journey, we wrote the best team wins. That's all about every team has its own culture because every team has its own dynamics, whether you're in R&D or you're in sales or you're in human resources and so on. And clearly, it, it this is now the time of the leader. Mm. And we see it everywhere. And this lack of gratitude in the workplace, you know, the online bullying, this idea that never have we been more connected and yet never have we been more alone, right? 
2015 suicide rates, if you want to go to the extreme. And this idea that we follow the lead of our leaders. You know, you look at the political discourse across the globe, and there there seems to be very little collaboration and conversation. It's, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm never wrong, you're never right. And that kind of bullying has, has, has taken, has, has seeped into the workplace. You know, you've got the hashtag Me Too movement and on and on and on and on. So this idea of, look, how can we cure that? How can we create workplaces where people are respected and valued and so on? And to me, it comes right back to gratitude. Mm. Have you expressed gratitude? Do I feel valued? Is my voice heard? And so, yes, I, I think the timeline of the journey is important. And that's our timeline, you know, from recognition to culture to teams and back to leadership and really back to gratitude. Interesting. So um, now let's get get on the book, sort of. And, and thank you so much for walking, helping us understand the um, your thoughts behind the book, sort of that that brought it uh, in forefront. So, what is the underground premise for uh, this book? Like, what is what what are you trying to communicate through um, leading with gratitude? We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Taudot AI world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tower.ai. Let's go back. You know, what was really interesting is as we took a look at gratitude in the workplace, if you look at engagement surveys, uh, almost always, I feel valued and recognized is near the bottom. And we thought, you know, why is that the case? Well, people are getting more and more hesitant to express gratitude in the workplace. In fact, it's the place they're most least likely to express gratitude. So we did some, some interesting surveys on that and got access to some interesting surveys. We asked leaders, do you think you are above average in giving you know, praise, recognition, expressing gratitude in the workplace? 67% said, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm above average. I, you know, my, I love my people and my people love me, right? When we asked the direct reports, only 23% agreed. <laughs> so there's this huge gap of the leader's perception of themselves and their direct reports perception of them. So we said, well, this is fascinating. Let's let's delve into that and, and see what the, the problem is. Well, there, we, we came across these myths, mm. these myths around gratitude. Like, why, why do people not lead with gratitude? One of my favorite myth, and it was really interesting, was this whole idea of leading with fear. That you got to put the mm. fear of God in people. You know, we want something done. You know, there's got to be some uh, anxiety there. And what was really interesting is we discovered that most leaders that you would define as leading with fear didn't think they were leading with fear. There was a, there was even a disconnect there. They said, "Look, I'm 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 not a bully. I'm not the classic, you know, Hollywood, you know, smoke filled room with my stogies and hey, we're gonna put the fear of God in those people, don't you know? You know, uh, yeah, that's the guy, that's the ticket. They were saying, look, I'm a truth teller. I'm just open and honest. Mm-hmm. And would say things like, you know, if we don't hit these quotas, I don't know that I can guarantee your jobs. I mean, that's just a fact. I'm not putting the fear of God in you. I'm just sharing with you critical information. And at the same and at the same time, right? Scaring the crap out of everybody that works for you, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of leading with fear, we, we understand that short term, you bet, mm. fear can be a tremendous motive. Long term, if you're trying to build a sustainable culture, absolutely not. Um, one of my favorites is uh, people nowadays just need too much praise. You know, you hear that all the time. Ah, these younger generations, ah, they want a brass band for just showing up. And the fact is, is that 
you know, Gallup did this fascinating survey. Said, how many instances of appreciation in the workday is too much? Mm. I found that 13 is the limit, 13. At number 14, it starts to tail off. Well, for anybody that's listening, I, I challenge you to record any given day in your career where you had 14 different instances where somebody came back and said, you know what, you're amazing. You know, here's some cake, here's some balloons, here's tickets to Hawaii. You know, it just doesn't happen, right? Um, the one that really uh, gets my goat is I don't have enough time. You know, we're multitasking, we're doing more with less. I would do it more if I had time. I just don't have the time. And you can appreciate that. I mean, I'm an important person, I'm a busy person. So I'll relate to a conversation that was hysterical. We were talking about gratitude in the workplace. And, and you really can't do it too much. I mean, I suppose there are people that do it too much. I've never met them, right? <laughs> and that we've been doing it for 20 years and I have talked to literally hundreds of thousands of leaders, right? I said, well, I wish I'd known this before because I didn't want to appear to be biased. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I have two direct reports and Susan is just incredible, you know? And if I were to, to, to give recognition on a regular basis, she would get so much more recognition than Stan it wouldn't be fair. So really to be fair, I just I just don't give any recognition at all. I, I just don't do it. I said, well, wh why are you so remorseful now? I said, well, um, she left and Stan's still here, <laughs> right? So she left for a better culture where she could feel more valued and recognized. And the, you know, the, the regular guy said, well, why isn't Stan getting a lot of recognition? Well, he's just not very good. So great. So you've stopped praising Susan to not offend Stan, who's not doing great work anyway. You see what I'm saying? And, and mm -hmm. the fact is, is we, figured, we found that the great leaders that really lead with gratitude, uh, it's about 2% of their work week. It's about an hour. It's about an hour a week, maybe an hour and a half. Simple, quick little you know, tools that we give leaders, spending time with them, little pats on the back, little triggers, little handwritten notes, little team meetings. It really doesn't take that much time. It takes discipline, and that's what makes it hard. And you, you need to observe what's going on and make sure it happens. So, you know, we uh, we knock down these myths one at a time. As another one, which you're probably thinking of, is it's all about compensation. Just get the incentives right. Just get the comp right, and people will do anything. You know, you can buy people's, you know, hearts and souls. Well, that may be true for a few people. But trust me, it is very few people. Right. Yes, money's important. We all have bills to pay. Uh, at a certain point, you can't pay people enough money to work for certain leaders. And you may have had that experience. I, I have. And it's really interesting. You just can't say, I'll pay you this much money and then I'm going to treat you, you know, like a redheaded stepchild. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to continue the beatings until morale improves. You know, it's just it just doesn't work. Is all this making sense? I mean, what are you thinking, Is it? No, I think it's it's absolutely um, it absolutely makes sense. So one of the examples that I was I was thinking about. So one of our technology head, um, his daughter was feeling very lonely and sad in the school, and and she said, "Hey, no one likes me. No one talks to me, and all that, um, and all the blues, right?" And he said, "Hey, why don't you do this one simple thing? Just save." Um, just give five compliments in a day. That's it. Just pick five and give, say something to them. That's, that's what you're, you're amazing or whatever. Like just do something. 
and within a month she became one of the most popular girl in a, in in her school because <laughs> she just ran out of kids and just, just start going to teachers principals so the whole ecosystem start emerging around her so i'm i'm when he was talking about um, this myths and i was just thinking about how powerful um, the this very small tiny change had been to at least this girl that um, in in our company we we adopted this we said hey we have to say five compliments to whoever whatever and i think one thing that i was i have a question for you uh, that i was thinking about when we started this if you are not used to gratitude or if you are not used to being thankful it's a very loaded term to to get your wrap your head head around it's well it is it, it's a discipline like anything else i mean it it didn't happen overnight for this young lady right it was five compliments a day and it, and it took a month you know it's it's part of that good practice i i love that five compliments a day you know we 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 believe and we have discovered this to be absolutely true mm. is that gratitude attracts gratitude mm. it absolutely does you know happy people want to be around happy people and actually anybody wants to be around happy people right he's like you know what i'm going to go hang out with her because you know she's miserable and i know if i hang out with her she's going to make me miserable too and that's my goal for today misery no absolutely not we say look i want to be around people that are going to build me up that make me feel good about myself and what's the best way to do that find something about them that you like five compliments a day good for her and good for you for seeing as something as simple as that to help a, a girl at school help change the culture in your company right. gratitude attracts gratitude so it's it's, it's fascinating so um and i think one thing that you shared um um that if suppose so you say um bullying it works or, or force works but you're saying that maybe for them they're not forcing they don't see it that way so the same thing even do anything happen to the gratitude as well so if i am in that tough boss mindset many time i'm assuming myself to be a a guy with the gratitude right so i it's basically it's everyone around me who thinks who think of me in a different light altogether uh, of what my perceived reality is so when when you are look when you're looking at say gratitude and, and leadership what do you think is the litmus test to see hey maybe i am the problem in this maybe i need to figure out if i'm not i'm not in the right mindset which which basically translate to a gratitude well sure well, there, there there are a lot of ways to evaluate a leader right 360 reports are are brilliant you know they're anonymous gives leaders a snapshot i always am uh, interested when that happens because so often leaders will get defensive hmm. well that can't be true No my people love me. You know, and say no your people hate you. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I've got the data to prove it, right? Um I love when leaders really want to be students of leadership where they'll say look thank you know I've got all this input. There's good news, there's bad news. There's only one appropriate response when you get that kind of feedback or what we call feed forward and it's thank you. Thank you because if I don't know that I'm doing certain things that may be offensive or demotivating for people I, I won't change them so that exchange so you know one way is the 360 you ask their stakeholders you ask the people in and around them you know are these things true right and they and they can give a safe answer the other is simply turnover right if you, you you'll notice that leaders that really don't lead with gratitude that are harsh that are that are mean right tend to have above average turnover and of course productivity 
you know, you always take a look at that. Well, why is your team not delivering? Why is your team not producing? So, you know, 360s, uh, turnover, and then, of course, uh, productivity are three really good ways to judge is the leader the kind of leader that you want. And the last one is, have they have they created the next generation of leaders? Mm. You know, have they produced leaders from their team? You know, often you'll see in a company, people want to go work for a certain leader because she is famous for developing people and creating other great leaders. If you want to be a great leader, work for a great leader, and she's a great leader, let's go work for her. Is that helpful? Yeah. And, and, and do, do you think um, on that, so do you think that there is something like... Uh, so there's a, some metric like maturity, understanding your maturity of gratitudeness. So is there anything like that, that um, you say, hey, as you rightly said, that I, I, at one point I am the one learning this craft of showing gratitude and, 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 and at some point I'm actually spreading, I'm making other leaders um, embrace this. So do you think, is there any, any such like some maturity frameworks behind this or what's your thought on that? No, there isn't. It's really interesting. You know, we, we try to we try to look and, and and I can tell your analytical mind, you know, the wheels turning and like, are there a couple of things that I can identify in their DNA? You know, are there certain is there an age? Is there a gender? Is there a profession? Is there an educational background? No, none of that uh, actually matters. It all has to do with are you sensitive to it? Have you been alerted to it? And do you want to do it? You know, whenever we do our executive coaching, we ask a very simple question. Do you want to be a better leader? And if the answer is yes, say, well, then are you willing to do what it takes to become a better leader? So, yes. Well, everybody says yes to these questions. Then the proof is, will they actually do it? So the the, the heart of the book is, so so now what do I do? I get, I get that I, I need to do more of it and I need to do it in, 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 a, in a better way. So what are those better ways? And that's really the core of the book where we say, look, it all comes down to seeing and expressing. You know, can I see what's going on? Am I sensitive to what's going on? So often as leaders, we say, look, I'm a problem solver, right? So all I'm looking for is problem. So whenever I show up, I'm not looking for what's going right. I'm looking for what's going wrong, Mm. right? Well, there's a lot of good things that happen every day. Let's look for those too, right? I love the idea of soliciting and acting on input. Mm. Tell me about what's going on. How can I help? You know, not just how's your day, how's your day and how can I help? So solicit that input. You know, a, a high uh, indicator of engagement is my opinion matters, my voice is heard, right? Second is assume positive intent. This is by far my favorite, by the way. And so often we assume negative intent. Mm. We're, we're getting mm. ready to identify the problem person, vilify them, blame them, and victimize ourselves. It wasn't my fault. It's his fault. You know, I gave him the instructions. I sent out the email, all right? He had all the information he, he needed. This idea of uh, assuming positive intent. I love uh, Hubert Jolie, who turned around Best Buy. Mm. And we interviewed him for the book. And he said, you know, I may be naive. I assume that everybody comes to work wanting to do a good job. Mm. And in trying to do a good job, they're going to make mistakes. And you know what? That's okay. We can fix the mistakes. And we're not assuming that you set a goal to come to work and make mistakes. You know. If you've got an employee that set a goal and said, look, my goal is to screw up five times today. And if I don't screw up at least three times before lunch, I'm not doing my job. Well, clearly, that's not somebody you want to have working for you. You know, 999 people out of 1,000 are not that way. Now, what happens is when you assume negative intent is you put people in a position where they don't feel safe at work. 
They're afraid that they're going to make a mistake. And so they're uber cautious about what they do and perhaps don't go the extra mile for a customer. Don't take a calculated risk. Because if you make a mistake, you're going to pay the price for that. And we're going to put you up on the wall of shame, you know. So not only does assuming positive intent create a better workplace and a, per, a workplace of gratitude, it creates a, a what Amy Edmondson calls a culture of emotional security, mm. psychological safety, mm. right? Where I'm safe to ideate, I'm safe to take risks and so on. You know, I love leaders that walk in their employees' shoes. Mm. I'm not going to make a demand of you because I've actually done your job. Mm. I know what's reasonable and unreasonable, right? And then lastly, I love it, look for small wins. Then this is your five compliments a day. Let's look for little wins along the way. You know, so, well, we'll celebrate when we hit the quota. Well, you know what, if you celebrate a lot of little milestones along the way, your odds of hitting the quota go up. Is this, is this, is this resonating with you? You know, it's act on, act on and solicit input. It's all about positive intent, walk in their shoes and then look for little wins. That's the seeing part. And those were four best practices that we found in place in every, not just good leader, every extraordinary leader that we studied. Does that resonate with you? So we'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. If, if, if I'm an organization and, and I want to sort of build this culture of gratitude within my leadership, what do you think is um, is a good starting point uh, for someone like me? How should I how should I get started on this? Well, I think what we've just talked about is you've got to identify what are some of the myths, you know, what are some of the false pretenses you've been leading uh, under? You know, have you been a leader that's led with fear? Or are you one that's really stingy with your recognition? You know, I don't give a lot of recognition when I do. People know I mean it because I never give it. So when they get it, <laughs> you know that. That scarcity mentality. So identify what the myths are and address those. And then get into what are best practices. Have you spent time with your people? Have you walked in their shoes? Are you good about soliciting input, right? And acting on that input? Are you, assu are you assuming positive intent or are you assuming negative in intent, right? Uh, and, and so once you've knocked down the myths and you've put in this seeing piece, then what it comes to is, and, and I think this is where you want to get to, is what are the actionable things I should do? Like now I, you know, psychologically I get it. I've got the information I need. Now how do I do it? And the first and foremost, we tell people, look, don't be afraid. Hmm. You know, you think, well, I'm going to make a mistake. Yeah, you will. Absolutely. You know, and the more you do it, the better you'll get. Right? Like, uh, well, what if, I, uh, what if I miss something? Well, you will miss something. That's okay. You know, solicit the input, you know. What are, what are some best practices? We, we had a leader in Dallas, Texas, that one of the things he would do to assume positive intent is he'd put 10 coins in his left pocket. And he set a goal to, to have 10 positive interactions with his people every day, much like the young lady you talked about. She set a goal for five. Well, his goal was 10, right? And 10's a lot, you know, uh, whether it's a positive email or a group email or calling somebody on the team huddle or texting somebody or calling somebody or pulling somebody aside or writing a handwritten note, he would keep track of that and, and his results were, were, were phenomenal. So don't be afraid, right? Mm. Just start doing it. The more you do it, the better you'll get. Um, a really good practice is, is tailor it to the individual. 
you know, we've all seen good intentions, right, go awry, where, you know, you, you, you want to say thank you for, you know, the project's been finished, the project manager was amazing, and you send this beautiful, you know, honey-baked ham to their home, and they're, you know, devout vegans, right? or, they're very, or they're a devout Jewish family, and, you know, ham just isn't what you should be sending, right, or, or Muslim family, right? So the, the intent was there, the execution was, was, was horrible. You know, do you know your people well enough to know, do they want time off to spend with their families? Do they want an extra assignment to develop a cool new product? You know, I, I love leaders that ask a very simple question. You know, if you had a day to do anything you wanted to do, you know, if you had a paid day off and you could do anything you wanted, to, what would you do? Isn't that a great question? Doesn't that give you a wonderful insight? I'd spend it with my family. I'd spend it at a museum. I'd go water skiing. I'd go skating. I'd go fishing. They go, okay, great. Well, when the time comes for me to reward you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a fishing pole, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna give you overtime. You know, my father was so interesting. Uh, quick aside, I started to work. I was in high school, and I, you know, I had a lot of part-time jobs, and I was working in a sporting goods store. And after a while, he said, "So, how's it going?" I said, "Oh, it's going really well." He says, "Are you working hard?" I said, I'm working hard. He says, do they like you? I said, yeah, in fact, they like me so much, they gave me this Saturday off. And he went, what? When I was a kid, if they really liked you, they gave you overtime. <laughs> right? I said, well, I was thinking time off to go play tennis would kind of be like a nice rewarding. Oh, no, no, you know, work, work longer hours. It was his generation, right? Or mm. not just his generation, him. <laughs> so this idea of tailoring, you know, knowing your people, know what motivates them, know what makes excitement. Is that... Does that make sense? Yeah, and 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 um, from uh, from your lens, um, when you're writing this book, what are some who are some of the leaders who jumped out as sort of the the picture perfect role model uh, of of this ideology of gratitude? Yeah, yeah. leadership. Yeah. Well, great question. No, nobody's picture perfect, by the way. You know, again, my father said, you know, Jess, don't worry, you've got a great face for radio, you know. And uh, <laughs> and we interviewed some amazing leaders. Now, I'll share a couple of them with you. Uh, we start the book off with a great story about uh, from Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD-40. Now, I know you have a can. Everybody's got a can of WD-40, right? The blue can with the yellow logo. And when he took over, WD-40 was about a $280 million company, which is not bad. It's now $2.8 and it's a global product in a very you know, mature industry with a product that's been around for forever. How did he do it? Well, he creates this tribal culture where everybody cares about each other. You know, Again, he says that at WD-40, we don't make mistakes. We have learning opportunities. And, and I love it. It's, 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 it's baked right into their name. WD-40 stands for Water Displacement 40th Formula. Mm. So were the 39 formulas before the 40, were they failures? Absolutely not. They were opportunities to learn so they could get to that 40th formula that we now know as, as WD-40. So he talks about really engaging with people. You know, this is where we live and work. We care about each other. This is our tribe. And in our tribe, we look out for each other. We protect each other. We build each other up. And, and no one is a better example of leading with gratitude, I think, than, than Gary Rich. Uh, Alan Mulally was one of our favorite uh, leaders. Uh, he was the guy that famously saved Ford Motor Company during the recession. And we said, when you came in and Ford was a mess, um, what was your first rule of engagement? 
He said, well, it's all about your people. I said, really, what do you do with your people? He said, well, love them up. <laughs> Just love them up. Love them, love them, love them. Let them know that you care. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Here's this, you know, century old motor, you know, they're making cars. I mean, this is, this is blue collar work at its best, right? This is, you know, the, the industrial age of America. And he comes in and says, yeah, your people, love them up. And it worked brilliantly. Now, it wasn't that he was soft, not at all. He was very demanding of his people. And at the same time, very giving and so on. You know, Noe, who is the past president and CEO of, of Pepsi, she's amazing when it comes to leading with uh, gratitude. She'd say, you know, you've got to lead with positive intent. And when you assume positive intent, you create a positive culture. So whether it was Pepsi or whether it was WD-40 or it was the Ford Motor Company, I mean, three very different industries with, you know, you couldn't get more diverse products. All three of them found their success in not just knowing the business, you had to know the business clearly. It was in leading with gratitude. Their soft skills were amazing. Fascinating, isn't it? And, and, and what, what about some companies, or at least the companies with the culture where you have seen um, leading with gratitude in action, like some, some of the companies or the groups in the companies where you actually have seen um, the- Oh, sure. As, 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 uh, yeah, American Express, you know, here financial company right notorious for you know it's all about compensation and, and bonuses uh under ken chenault and now their new ceo very much a people-centered business you know they they came out with you know you you now get uh, three or four months off for uh, maternity and paternity leave now I, I i'm very familiar with that because my son works at american express and when our granddaughter was born he got that that time off you know, and the relationship he has with his little girl is extraordinary because he had that time with family. Well, do you think he went back to American Express and worked harder? Of course he did. Mm -hmm. Of course he did. And that all came from from the top, right? That said, look, and, and by the way, look at their stock price. It's, it's, it's skyrocketing. They create opportunities for their people to go out into the communities and serve. Uh, opportunities for, you know, high potential leaders and up and coming leaders to get coaching, right? to have opportunities to get to know each other, serve with each other, make a difference not only at work, but with their communities and with their families. And, you know, that is, to me is a perfect example of gratitude in action. It's, it's part of their policies. It's part of their culture. It's part of how they lead. And they attract top talent. They keep top talent. And their, their performance uh, on the stock market and for their shareholders and for their employees that own stock, clearly, is, is extraordinary. Is, is that what you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. And and um, what's your take on, so we're we hearing a lot nowadays about um, sort of this new age of work or so the upcoming gig economy or temp workers or um, sort of distributed workforce. How does um, the idea of gratitude fit into this new mark or new reality where we are sitting at our home, we don't see them often. How can people sort of relate with, with them when, so they have more degree of freedom, uh, separation between them. So what, what's your take on like how it's, how the current landscape of work is, is, is it, has it changed when it comes to understanding gratitude in, uh, in, in the work workforce? Oh, I think it's changed. Absolutely. It, it becomes more and more and more and more. Let me put the emphasis on the word more, <laughs> more important because 
in the gig economy, I, I can go do something else. If I don't like it, I can leave. Well, that's very disruptive if you're running a business where you are counting on a lot of gig employees, right? So you've got to make sure that you have those touches. Again, that discipline that reaches out and continues to ask, how are things going? How can I help? What are some things we can do to help you make your job easier? Are there ways that we can, you know, are there things that you've seen at other jobs where if we applied it, it would make us better, it would make it more engaging and so on. So in particular with a gig employee or a gig economy, leading with gratitude is ever more important mm. because, you know, we, we look, when unemployment is high, you can say, hey, look, I can treat you any way I want. You got nowhere to go. Well, in this economy, I, I've got lots of options. In fact, I may choose just not to work for a while, period. Right? So this whole idea of remote employees, uh, part-time employees, gig employees, and so on, contract employees, being able to attract that talent and keep it is ever more important around the culture you build and the gratitude you express. So yes, has it changed? Absolutely. It's become even more important. Interesting. And and uh, I, I want to hear your thoughts on, so when you talk to any leader who is sort of working on their hockey stick growth and they are sort of working on scaling and a lot of action happening and disruption happening for the industry, when you talk to them, um, they always talk about, hey, I'm too busy to talk about soft stuff. I want to just get on the meaty, the hard, the skill um, and, and get my organization to the next level. How do you convince sort of those um, leaders or, or what's the role of say soft skill when you are actually too busy? I think I, I remember there's a cartoon running around in which people are fighting with swords and someone comes with the, with the machine gun and say, hey, I don't have time for it. I'm too busy fighting my war. So what is, what's your take on um, the relevance of soft skills when basically hard skills show them the real number and the real benefit? They can, some tangible outcome they can see every day, every day. Well, you know, I, you, you really answered all those questions already, right? We've talked about the fact that, you know, if you look at the best leaders that lead with gratitude that have extraordinary soft skills, you know, communication, um, knowing their employees, knowing how to, how to motivate them, they get superior results. They just do. I mean, the, the, the data is, look, we have a database of well over a million engagement surveys. And those people that feel more valued and, and their voices are heard are much more productive. Short term, you can get gains through those, you know, those, those, you know, maniacal leaders that just want to beat the crap out of you every time. Sure, that short term, that can work. Long term, the, the, the research is, is rock solid that the soft skills are not nice to haves. They are must haves. Mm -hmm. And the leaders that excel, that attract that great talent, that deliver the superior results, like Ken Chenault, like, you know, uh, Gary Ridge, like Alan Mulally, uh, you know, these are our leaders that have proven that this is the best way to lead, especially in the digital economy, especially in the gig economy. If you, if, if you do not have time for those soft skills, then you better make a lot of time to spend with recruiters because you're gonna lose a lot of people and you're gonna spend a lot of time trying to fill those empty seats because you didn't take the time to figure it out and hone your soft skills. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that, that that's makes perfect sense. So in, in, in your research, like what are some of the, you talked about myths, right? So what are some of the struggles that, that, that you faced when it comes to 
someone like helping someone navigate this idea of leading with gratitude like what are some of the challenges that you faced yeah you know it's really about discipline it's really about discipline you know we've got all the data all the case studies that say look this is Mm. this is how it works and it works will you do it will you hold yourself accountable that's one of the biggest issues right because you can you can slaughter people with data you know, I can sit down with you and say, look, study after study after study. Willis Towers Watson, Gallup, the culture works. The conference board, they've all got it. And you say, okay, the numbers are there. Emotionally, if you don't get it, mm. you're never going to get it, right? And so you just got to get people to do it, to, to find that time. You can't make time. Everybody's got the same amount of hours in a week. Everybody gets 168 hours. You know, nobody gets 170. <laughs> Everybody gets 168. So where are you spending your time? Right. So if, if I'm going to if I am a student of leadership and I need I, I need a more engaging culture, I need to to keep these good people. I've got to figure this out. And again, once you have the discipline, it doesn't take a lot of time, an hour a week, perhaps maybe a little more when you hone that skill. And then, you know, one of the best practices we found is when leaders transfer that and they make it peer to peer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just me. It's not just me that has 10 coins in my left pocket. Everybody's got 10 coins in their left pocket, right? I, I love the example of, of your, your, your little student, you know. Um, she even got the teachers to buy in. It wasn't the teacher that said, give five compliments a day. It was the student that then I'm sure was adopted by the teacher, right? Mm. Peer-to-peer is where it gets really good. And that's when you know you've got a, a culture of gratitude, right? where it's not dependent solely on the manager, the supervisor, the leader. It, we've all bought into it. We, we're all seeing good things that are happening and, and building each other. And, and, and by the way, it's not just, you know, this, this general praise that has no impact. Hey, great job. Oh, no, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, you're the, you're the, you're the tower of peace. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. and has no impact. It's you're tying it back to your core values. So, you know, one of our core values is on-time delivery. And man, they gave us an impossible task. I don't think anybody thought we could hit that deadline. You guys dug in, you collaborated, you had each other's backs, and you know what? We we hit the deadline. Well, that's that's you know that took me what fifteen seconds to say that, and tied it right into what is our core value? Well, how do we treat each other? Why is teamwork important? And nobody does it better than us. Wow, you know core value, whether it's innovation or you know cost containment, whatever it is. You're always tying it back to, to that core value and you're making it peer-to-peer. And those are two areas of expressing that I think are key to creating that, you know, that culture of gratitude. Interesting. I think that's, 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 that's fascinating. And, and, and thank you so much for, for walking us um, through this interesting idea. Um, and um, now we're at the tail end of the conversation and I want to spend a few minutes on, on you, on sort of your journey. And um, we ask all of our guests to um, talk about some of the traits, some of the qualities that has helped them become what they are today. Like, what would you, what would you attribute yourself? Which qualities you would attribute yourself to? Like, what are some of those qualities that you can talk about? Well, you know, and this actually comes back to our book. So, thank you for that question. Is, is did you take it home? Right. I mean, we've got all these great best practices at work. Did you leave your best self at home? And it was really encouraging that all these great leaders that we've talked about, they all practice deep gratitude, gratitude in their homes. 
Dave Kirpin, a good friend of ours in, in, in New York, you know, uh, he wouldn't just use gratitude in the workplace. Around the dinner table with his kids, it was really great. At every dinner, they'd an answer three questions. What was the best part of your day? Who are you grateful for that's not at the table? And who are you grateful for at the table that hasn't been thanked yet? Mm. You know, a woman shared with us that they, at home, they've got this gratitude jar. And every day they write something that they're grateful for and they put it in the jar. And at the end of the year, they pull it all out and they read through it and it's their year of gratitude. We had a, 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 another leader, she said, you know, we don't have ornaments on our Christmas tree. We have notes of gratitude. I mean, wow. people, they keep gratitude journals. At the end of the day, they write down three things that they're grateful for. My wife and I have a tradition. At the end of the day, we say, what are your three? What are the three things you're grateful for today? And sometimes it's five and you know, sometimes it's three. And so, you know, my journey was that I grew up in a household that was just full of gratitude. My, my father was my biggest cheerleader, my best friend. And he would talk about, you know, be, be sure that you're kind, be sure that you treat people well. But one of his quotes that I, I love is, be good to everybody, everybody's having a tough day. Right. And he said, you know, and, and I, I've looked at research on this where it says, you know, if you treat everybody you meet as if they've got something going on in their lives, mm. you know, that's that's not particularly positive. Nine times out of 10, you're going to be right. I mean, I've got four kids at any given moment. We've got something going on. Right. Mm. Yes, there's a lot of moving parts there. So as far as my journey goes and so on, to me, it's always come back to family. It's always come back to family. My, my, I've got four amazing older brothers. I had two ridiculously happy parents. You know, I may, married well above my station. My wife, Heidi, keeps everything grounded. My father would say it's the one thing that you, we have in common is we both married way above our station, you know. And, and, and it's true. And it's true. And surround yourself with great people. You know, we talked in the intro. I'm a part of this Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Group and, and, and a collection of amazing people many of whom we interviewed for the book. Gary Ridge is in that group. Alan Mulally is in that group. Marshall Goldsmith, the world's greatest executive coach. And every time we have a cohort meeting or a gathering, you know, you're, you're feeding your brain. And you know what? Every person in there doesn't ask, what can you do for me? They ask, what can I do for you? And I love that. And my faith has been a huge part of it. You know, my faith, we are, we are, you know, we are called to live a giving life. Mm. And we are commanded to love our neighbor, you know, love those that it's easy to love people that love you, right? Love those that don't love you. And then we are commissioned to serve. And I love that idea that service has to be a part of your life. And as we've developed our work, you know, with Adrian uh, Gostick, my wonderful co-author, this whole idea of serving people, whether it's through our books or whether it's through our training or our executive coaching, that's what it's all about. And, uh, and thank you for asking that question. Interesting. <laughs> really so so uh, I, let me go back slightly. And, and, and I think you raised a very interesting point and I want, I definitely want your perspective on, I think, so when we started, we talked about the, the current times and, and, and the divisive nature of current times. So if you, if you look at, um, if you look at us, most of us either represent a liberal side of the world or conservative side of the world. And, and there is this lot of um, conversation match around us, right? That, that we sort of are privy to and our biases are baked around it. So when you talk about that, and so even our gratitude in, in some ways is tuned to this, this reality, right? 
whatever is around me is what I can be grat- like I can be thankful for and what's happening to me. And then you yeah. then you sort of you stretch it into the this polar vortex sort of this this other side of the world. How do you see the what is happening to the the very aspect of being being grateful when it comes to sort of this yeah. this polar divide is is right? Like, what's your thought on that? Right. So so remember we said gratitude attracts gratitude, right? Which I I firmly believe. I'm going to give you another saying from my father because what you've just laid out there is what everybody will use for an excuse to not have a grateful life. And my father would say, by the way, excuses, even when valid, are never impressive. <laughs> you know, we live in, a, in, in an age where we say, I'm going to be happy when, you know, when I make a little more money, when I have a better car, when I have a bigger house, when, you know, I, I get married, when I have kids. The fact is, and this is Brene Brown, that, that uh, wonderful finish to the book. She said, you know, I came very quickly to the conclusion that it's not joy that drives gratitude. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. Mm. And I'll tell you a really quick story. A wonderful woman, Becky Douglas, that we interviewed for the book that tells the story. She works with these uh, leper colonies in India and supports hundreds of them and tells the story of Daniel and David, that her mother brought these these two young boys to their their campus and said, I'm convinced that my husband is going to kill us. It's just a toxic thing. And I understand that you can get boys to schools in America. Mm. Could you please save my boys and send them to America to school? Well, mm. it doesn't happen overnight. And so they actually found a family in the in the U.S. that would take these boys in and they would go to a private school because you couldn't use public funds. Mm. And they had to write an essay as to why they should be accepted. Now, you've got to understand, these, these are boys that were malnourished. They didn't speak any English. They basically had the clothes on their back. They'd been beaten. They'd been sold into slavery. Their mother had mm. worked to earn enough money to buy them back. Mm. And, you know, if anybody had an excuse to not mm. feel grateful, to not, you know, look at the world as a good place, it, were, it was these two boys. So when they finished their essay, Becky said, well, read it back to them and see if they want to make any changes. And sure enough, at the end, Daniel said, yes, could I add one thing? And she said, sure, what is that? I said, could you please tell the people that run this school that of all the boys that are applying, that we are among the most blessed? And she said, you know, at that moment, I understood that gratitude has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with your heart. You know, whether you're, you know, parking cars or you're a captain of industry, mm-hmm. everybody wants a happy life. Mm-hmm. And you know how you get to happy? You're grateful. It starts with gratitude. That's what leads to a joyful and happy life, not the other way around. We think, oh, I'll make more money. I'll be happy. Wrong. Gratitude should be at the center of everything you do, whether it's at work or at home. And trust me, if you can do that, not only will you create a great place to work, you'll just have a better life. It's absolutely, absolutely the core of a happy life. Are you with me? Beautiful. I think beautifully put. And, and thank you. Thank you for, for clarifying that. So now um, let's talk about some of your favorite reads, some of the books that, that you like reading and you like to share with our listeners and viewers. Sure. Well, first and foremost, Leading with Gratitude, buy my book, okay? <laughs> it's available Absolutely. on Amazon and fine bookstores everywhere. I, I'm, I'm reading a couple of three books right now that I, I would love to recommend. One is How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. He just recently mm-hmm. passed away wonderful professor at the Harvard School of Business. And he, and he talks about this idea of gratitude. He really does. He said, you know, I 
had some phenomenal people that went through and got their MBAs with me at Harvard. And, you know, 30 years down the road, who was happy and who wasn't? How did they get off track? How do you measure, how do you measure your life? It, it, it's excellent. I uh, highly recommend it. Um, Elevate, Rob, uh, Bob Glazier. He talks about pushing your, yourself beyond your limits. And he says, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. And he's got some great triggers and, and great ideas. I, I love this book. And, and he's got a lot of online stuff that you can do as well. And then <laughs> Michael Bungay-Stainer. I've, I've met Michael two or three times. He's, he's remarkable. We were at a black tie gala. And trust me, he wore a tuxedo that you will never forget. Uh, he, is, uh, he is totally out there. It's the advice trap. Uh, be humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. He's a, a wonderful executive coach. He wrote a book called The Coaching Habit as well. This idea of giving too much advice, not being humble, wanting to always be the smartest person in the room. So I know you asked me for one book, and I gave you three. Uh, these are three that I'm reading right now, and uh, I highly recommend all three. By the way, if you follow me on LinkedIn, every Friday, I have a weekend book club where I recommend a book. And, uh, and you'll, you'll see all of these books in there, by the way. I Absolutely. So I will post that link for our listeners and viewers as well. So now last but not the least. So um, if you want our listeners and viewers to take something away from this conversation, what would that be? What would be your closing uh, remark for, for our listeners and viewers? You know, in a world where it is so easy to think that by being cruel, you're being clever. You know, that nasty tweet that, you know, that thumbs down on Facebook or, you know, it is so destructive. I know it's easy and I know sometimes we smirk and we giggle and maybe we even have leaders that do it and give us permission to do it. Mm. My advice is don't. It is so easy to be kind. The world needs more gratitude. It needs more kindness. You know, it's really interesting. People say, if you'd sum up the best way to lead in just a few words, what would it be? And I'd say, it's two words, be kind, mm. you know, be nice. Remember what your mom and dad taught you when you were five years old. You know, remember to say please and thank you. Clean up after yourself. Don't push, don't hit, don't bite. You know, it's, it's, still, it's still good advice. You know, let's take the time for random acts of kindness. Mm. You know, I, I, I was on the streets of New York City the other day and it was freezing cold. And there was a young man there. He wasn't begging. He had a blanket over his head and he was sitting there and you could just tell he was miserable. Well, some friends of, of mine had taken me to this fabulous meal. They wouldn't let me pay. And I thought, hey, I've had this amazing dinner in New York City for, for nothing. And here's this guy freezing on the sidewalk. And so I thought, you know what? I know I've got a $20 bill in my pocket, which is much more than I would normally give to somebody on the street. And I went over to him and I said, you know what, buddy? Find some place warm. And I know he thought it was a dollar. And when he took it, and then when he opened it up, he jumped up and he said, buddy, you have no idea what this means to me. And he could pack up his stuff and he went off to be warm. And I thought, when was the last time you could be a hero for 20 bucks, mm. right? Random action, be kind. Understand that people have got stuff going on. Be kind to everybody. Everybody's having a tough day. Beautifully put. With that, thank you so much, Esther. I think it was fabulous. And um, I would put the... Link for our listeners and viewers, um, Leading with Gratitude, um, a must book. Go check it out. I will also put some links to follow Chester's work and 
see how you can engage and help extend this mission. So with that, just thank you so much for uh, spending your generous, generous time with us and helping us decipher the code of being like gratitude in leadership. Thank you, you so got much. It. Thank you for the time and uh, call me again anytime. You know, the world needs more gratitude and hopefully this podcast will bring more of that, a little bit more of that into the world. Thank you for I'm your in, time. I'm in, brother. I'm in. So. I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it Then I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a circle